0: Yes, you may be seated. God is is awesome, and uh, as you guys get to know me better, um, you'll find out that I I am passionate, but I'm not all that mushy, I guess is the way to put it, okay? Um, uh, But I got to confess, I'm up here this morning, and it's like, uh, I mean, it's been all morning. I woke up this morning with a sense of this it's like God's up to something and that's fantastic um, the scary part for me as a pastor is he hasn't told me what so as we sing this song and uh, we're singing God speaks to me says do you trust me I'm like oh yes and then it's kind of like you know when, when Jesus was talking to Peter it's like Peter do you love me and Peter says yes Lord I love you and then it's like and he says, Peter, do you love me? So I'm kind of up here the same way. God's saying, you know, Jesus is saying, do you trust me? And I said, yes, Lord, I trust you. And he said, well, that's good. Do you trust me? And it's like, well, yes. So, so I'm a mess this morning. And um, I just pray that you guys have the grace to be a mess with me because I have, I, I, I get a sense of where God's going. But I don't know what could happen this morning. But if it's God, it's good. And I want it. So um, that's kind of where we are. And, it, and it's, I don't believe it's any coincidence because uh, this morning we're, we're coming into our second week of, of a series on prayer. And so we've been learning, you know, we've been talking about prayer. And it's like, and I believe this is a church that doesn't just talk about prayer, that we actually pray. I think that's really important. Uh, it's like just talking about prayer will not actually help us. It, it, I mean, it might inform us. But actually praying will transform us. So I'm believing that, you know, through that, that God will continue to work in us. I mean, even a skim of the Bible, you know, you, you look at the Bible and you can just skim through it. It's so obvious that prayer is, is an integral part of being a believer. Whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, prayer permeates the scriptures. And I believe in the same way it should permeate our lives. And as we looked at it last week. You know, we, we talked about this idea of, you know, prayer isn't this kind of wish list and God isn't the genie in the bottle. And it's like he doesn't answer every prayer of every person every time. I mean, if he did, we'd have chaos. And I said last week, chances are I wouldn't even be here if, <laughs> if God answered every prayer. So we just think of those things where we, we look at it and, and realize that prayer is something that, that is important, that we need to to, you know, seek God and press into him because prayer matters. Now, I want to kind of give a little bit of, um, I don't know, wet your appetite a little bit more because I'm believing as this series continues, there's more things that God wants to do. I'm excited about, about next week. I'm going to be speaking a message that I'm hoping will help to demystify the thought of fasting and prayer. I mean we as soon as I say the word fasting automatically our minds picture someone right like the, that strange person that usually wears some sort of a strange outfit that they don't quite fit in They're you know maybe a little bit emaciated like we get this picture of what someone who fasts looks like and and so I want to kind of demystify this concept this discipline of prayer and fasting next week and I'm actually even going to invite us as a church that next week, so that would be the 21st, correct? So the 21st, we'll, 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 uh, I want to teach on fasting. And throughout the week between the 22nd, which would be the Monday and the Friday, I actually want to invite us to, as a church to fast in some way and pray together and believe together as a church. We're talking corporate here, that we all have an opportunity to be a part of that. And, and as, as part of that, there's a, there's a room up there that we call the upper room. So that week, the 22nd and on, that room will be open during the day. Anybody wants to come in and pray, we'll make that available. And so that's, that's the 21st. So that's that week between the 21st. And then Sunday, the 28th, So which is the last Sunday in January, we're going to have a time of, of worship together. We're going to hear the word. We're going to do all those things. And then directly following the service, as part of the service, as part of us gathering together, we're going to transform this room into a place of feasting, and we're going to have lunch together. And as part of that lunch, we're going to celebrate what God is doing in prayer, and we're going to share around the tables, and we're also going to do communion as part of that community meal. And I'm excited about it. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be fun. And so uh, just plan to be a part of that. Plan to stay and, uh, and, make, and see that happen. I just think it's, it's good to to do things a little differently sometimes and, and and try to bring meaning and application to what we're talking about in the line of prayer. So so we're going to fast for a week and get real hungry and then we're going to get together that next weekend and we're going to pig out together. So that sounds, sounds biblical, right? But prayer is so important. I think we would all agree, I think we would all agree almost universally across this room that prayer is important. Prayer makes a difference. Prayer changes things. Now, I actually honestly think there would be varying degrees of agreement in this room when I say that. You're like, hmm? I mean, we agree that prayer is important, but sometimes I wonder how much we agree or how much we realize or how much we acknowledge that prayer changes things. That's a different question. That's a different conviction because I believe it changes how we approach prayer approach prayer and I would expect that most if not all of you if you were asked you would have an expectation that I pray. Right? And I do. Like you can you can still keep breathing. Yes, I do pray. <laughs> because it, and that expectation is because well he's the pastor. Isn't that part of his job description? You know he's supposed to pray. Yes. A pastor that doesn't pray is a not a very empowered pa- pastor, and he probably isn't going to stay in the ministry very long because without prayer, you, you'll never make it. But pra- this idea of prayer, it's like, but as a whole, as people, as Christians, as believers, like, what's the expectation on ourselves? It's like, well, I'm saved. I said a prayer. It's kind of like telling your wife, it's like, you know, when we got married, I said, I loved you. If that changes, I'll let you know. Right? <laughs> people are starting to get this, like, ooh, Yeah. No, it's like prayer could sometimes be that, you know, you pray a prayer of salvation and and it's like, well, that's the last prayer you have to pray. Well, no, I don't think so. I think there's this, this idea of, of, of praying, but I, but here's something that I want to address today. And I want to try to maybe dig into a little bit as much as we know we should. And as no, and as much as we know that expectation, I think there's a lot of us as believers that do not feel confident that we know how to pray. We don't feel confident that we're heard when we pray. We're not, we're not confident that we know how to approach God when it comes to prayer. It's like, how do you do this? And, and, you know, I made the comment about the, the, you know, the wife and so on like that. I, I, I want to use a marriage relationship almost as, a, as a, an analogy of that. The thought that when we get married, right, the, a person gets married, that first year, there's a huge, very steep learning curve, that first year of marriage, and and part of that is even learning about communication. Because in that first year, we learn that men and women speak different languages. Yes, we may use the same words, but they don't mean the same thing. <laughs> it's two different languages. And part of that first you know, year is learning the, you know, how to translate. For guys, it's learning to translate woman. And for a woman, it's learning to translate man. And, but here's the thing. It's like... But we stick with it and we push through it because we're in a covenant committed relationship and, 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 and joined together and we love each other. So we learn in that first year. We push through in that first year and we learn to understand each other because of the nature of the relationship we're in. That's also true of our relationship with God. We are in a committed covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ when we get saved. And yes, there is a learning curve to prayer and to learning to communicate with God, because really that's the loosest definition of prayer that you can come up with, is just communication with God, and it's two A's. But we don't wait until we figure that we've got it all figured out, that we've got all the, you know, the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted, we completely understand prayer, okay, now I can start to pray. No, like in our relationship with a spouse or maybe you're, you know, maybe you're pre-marriage, you know, but you're learning to communicate with someone. We're committed to learning and diving into that because that communication is so, so crucial. And very rarely will anyone condemn someone else for trying to communicate with them. I love um, like with the different accents and the different you know, ethnicities in the church, like when we're having a conversation, you guys have expressed so much um, grace to me as I say, huh, what was that again? Because sometimes it's the accent or whatever, and I struggle with that sometimes because my my ears aren't as used to it, but it's like, but never would anyone condemn, we don't condemn each other because of that, we just say, yeah, it's okay, you know, and then we say it again, and it's like, can you spell that? And so we continue to communicate. We falter, but we do it. Prayer. Prayer, we falter sometimes. We get the words wrong. Sometimes we say, "God, could you spell that out for me?" And so, but we continue to pray. A friend of mine, um, I've known him for years now. Uh, he's he's someone that I really looked up to in the, in the area of prayer. He's he is a prayer. He's a person of prayer, and um, it, spending time with him, we've prayed through some pretty significant times of my life in prayer together and agreeing in prayer and walking together. And one of the cool things for me is I've learned a lot about prayer by just watching him and seeing his example. And as we look towards the scriptures this morning, there's a, the same thing happened with Jesus and his disciples. Like they were spending time with him and they were seeing these things happen and prayer was such an integral part of his life. They were watching this and they're like, we've seen Pharisees pray. We've seen rabbis pray. We've seen all this, but Jesus there's, there's something going on there, something I want to have a part of. Luke 11, one says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. They watched him pray. They saw him do it, and they said, wow, Jesus, you need to teach us to do what you're doing. So as they did life with him, they found that that there was something about his prayer life that they wanted a part of. And Matthew includes the time of teaching of Jesus, known as the Sermon on the Mount, and it's found in Matthew, it starts chapter five and it goes through. But as part of that, there's this time when Jesus teaches his, his teaches. His, that's a good one. Jesus teaches his followers to pray. He talks about prayer. He teaches on prayer because it's something that's important to them. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. And uh, I'm going to include, there's different, depending on the translation, sometimes with what we call the Lord's Prayer, there's pieces of it that end up in the footnotes. I've pulled all those from the footnotes and brought them, like, so that it's kind of all there, That traditional, um, I'll say, Lord's Prayer that we're used to. And, And you guys are just getting comfortable. You're just getting settled in. So let's stand together. And this is just a way of honoring God's Word and engaging with His Word And we want to turn to Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus is teaching his disciples, his followers on prayer. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. We good? Okay, here we go. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen Then your father who's unseen, uh, that sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, give us today our daily bread and forgive us, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, forever and ever. Amen. Man, you may be seated. Forever and ever. Amen. And he addresses maybe some of the issues, because they've seen examples of other religious leaders and how they've prayed. And he goes so far as to call them hypocrites, which is probably not a flattering term. But Jesus says, you know, you've seen these guys, and it's like they stand up in the temple, and they, they stand on the street corners, and they have these great elaborate prayers. Are the prayers wrong? I don't think that's the point Jesus is making. Because he goes on to say, they were doing it as a show. They're praying so they can be seen. Their their motivation in prayer is to make them look good, not to connect with God. He says, don't pray that way. He said, just don't go there. Then he goes on and he says, and then there's these pagans that when they pray, they're like, they're Babble, babble, babble. They're just saying the same thing over and over again. And you can, you can kind of imagine someone like chanting or in a trance or whatever. And they're going on and they're saying the same thing over and over and over again in an effort to somehow get the attention of a deity. And, and Jesus says, don't pray like that either. Like that's, that's not relationship. That's just, some, that's just something different. He says, don't pray that way. And then he goes so far as to say, God knows what your issues are before you even ask him. And then he says, and this is how you should pray. And he begins to talk about a connection, a sense of communicating with God. And I just want to take, I'm going to put on my teacher's hat for here a little bit. And we're going to, I want to walk through the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Not that it is a prayer that can necessarily be repeated word for word. Word for word. It is sometimes. But what can we learn from what Jesus taught? And there's a lot in there. So fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Okay, here's where he starts. He says, our father. He could have said anything there as far as that described God, but he chooses the words, our father. Now, there's two things about that that I think we should recognize. One is the community aspect of it, the sense of of people connected to another the body sense like our. He didn't say my father. He very well could have. Jesus God was his father. He could have said my father in heaven. He could have made it about him, but he didn't. He said our father. And he used the word father. He could have said almighty God and then gone on with his prayer. But he chose our father. And father, that's relationship. That's like that's connection. Father was, was provider, was identity, was was the the one that was the protector. The, you know what I mean? Like dad, it's like my dad's bigger than your dad. Like our father. So he starts with this relational sense to it. Our father. And then he brings it to in heaven. This is a de- declaration of who we're praying to here. He's, yeah, he's dad, but he is the dad that is above everything. Our Father in heaven. And that wasn't to create some sort of separation. That was a recognition that he was God, the Father over all. Our Father in heaven is recognizing where he is. Yes, we're in relationship with him. We've already established that. He's our dad. But he's our dad that's like, out of this world. He's our dad that's like, wow, our Father in heaven. And then he goes on to say, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. Holy is your name. So we've got our Father, it's it's connection in heaven, who is over everything. Holy be your name. It's this recognition of worth, of value, of, of who he is, the name of God or the name of Jesus. That name in Hebrew culture, that name, the name captured the essence of who they were. In, in the Jewish culture, they wouldn't even write out the whole name of God. They'd leave some of the letters out. Because that name was so precious and holy to them that they didn't want to defame it by, by writing it down. So the name for them captured everything about who God was. So y- your name be hallowed. There's this recognition of the holiness of God. His potential, his power wrapped in with, in his identity. I mean, I love this because it helps us to take it prayer from a shopping list to a recognition of who we're praying to. It's like, oh, man, my God, my Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. It's praying to God for who he is, not just what he can do for us. And that's established early in this prayer. You're getting this, like, so. So when we're praying and we pull this apart, <laughs> there's so much there. Jesus isn't teaching him, you know, a few sentences. He's teaching them a principle. And then he says, "Your kingdom come," which is, it's a peculiar thing to, to think about this because we assume God is God. His kingdom is already here, right? I think about this room. It's it's awesome. It's such a mosaic. Of ethnicity, uh, I can't even say it. Ethnicity, and, and and cultures, in this beautiful mosaic of people and faces as we gather together, and there's cultures attached to all of that, and we bring those cultures together. But I believe that the only true unity in that diversity is found in Kingdom culture where every culture, every language, every method, every style that we bring together, and we need to do that, true unity is found when we understand that kingdom culture supersedes all those things and brings them into unity together. Unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. And as we see that happen, I believe we get a little glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. Because we understand your kingdom, which is, you know, your kingdom come we get a glimpse of that in our own reality when we can bring those things together in unity and we can worship together and that 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 culture that kingdom culture is so counterculture to what we know and understand like what do you mean counterculture well god's kingdom when you think about jesus starts teaching and he says in my kingdom the last will be first you give to receive and you die to live I'm like huh my kingdom—it's like we we talk about you know our kingdom—and there's so much about finances and this and that. And it's like with Jesus and God, they say, "Well, no, wait a minute. My kingdom is about love, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. My kingdom is about, like I said, unity and diversity. My, my kingdom—it it supersedes those things because it, it's not affected by the things of this world. My kingdom." is in a place above that. There's a security. There's, it's, not, it's not threatened by politics. It's not threatened by those things because my kingdom is established and it is established forever. It's an eternal kingdom, the nature and the kingdom of God. And, he's, and Jesus is saying, that kingdom come here, on earth, as it is in heaven. You see, that's pretty powerful because there's this sense of these, these two kingdoms and I believe Jesus is saying, your kingdom come. Jesus is talking about drawing those two kingdoms together. That eventually, God's kingdom will eclipse our kingdom. But in this prayer, it's that sense of, of those two coming closer together. There's this gap that we live in. And there's a tension in that gap. We live in that tension between the now and the not yet. The established kingdom of God and what will be. But we live in little glimpses of it. And it's like your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is powerful, yes. He will ultimately establish his rule and reign, yes. But news bulletin. God's will does not automatically happen on earth in the age that we live in. What? God's will does not automatically happen on earth as it does in heaven. There's a lot of things that happen in our world that are not God's will. Like what? I thought God was all powerful. He is, but God chooses not to override a person's free will. Like, what? Without free will, there cannot be love. Like, why Why? what are you saying? God, even in the garden, refused to override free will. He gave him a choice. It's first thing he did: live here, enjoy my relationship. Let's do this. Just there's one choice. Just don't go there. And they, of course, they broke that choice. Now, everybody says, well, why couldn't God have just stopped him before he ate that apple? Because to override free will eliminates love. God wants relationship with his creation. He creates us with free will because without free will, we cannot choose God. It comes with a very steep price tag. Because we can choose not, him, not to follow him. God's will does not automatically happen. Otherwise, why would Jesus pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Jesus wouldn't have to pray that prayer if it was already going on. So the challenge is there's like, no, let's find out God's will. Let's, let's, let's embrace his kingdom and pray, God, let that happen on earth as it is in heaven. We consider God's will and, and we want to we wanna see God's will done. And it's like we think about God's will sometimes, but do we actually really consider God's will for our lives? Do we even acknowledge him by how we live and how we order our lives? Now, I don't believe we have to ask God what color socks to wear in the morning. I I mean, I think that's getting a little bit extreme on the far end. But it's like, do we even consider that we woke up this morning and God was there before we woke up And that he has plans and purposes for our lives. And as we've even sung about it this morning, God is good. His plans and purposes for us are good. His plans and purposes were created and established before we were born. And he has things that he wants us to do. Do we even acknowledge that in the way we live? Do we even understand? It's like, Lord, your will be done in me, in my life, in my circumstances, at my work, at my school, in how I live, the people I interact with today. God, your will be done in me. And there's a sense of aligning our day, our actions, our goals, our motives, our priorities with the good works that we were created to do. That's good stuff right there. In case you were wondering, that stuff will change your life. (laughs) That's good. Right. When we get to that point where we're saying, hey. Is my life being aligned with God? And it's like, what it does is it opens up possibilities that are out of this world. And when we start to live in those possibilities in faith and and willing to take those risks, we find ourselves in a completely different realm. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That requires ears to hear and a willingness to obey. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. And we can finally, you know, think like, finally, we get to the gimme, gimme part. Like, this is when it's like, okay, I can, where's my list here? I mean, I know I've got some things. God, this I need this, 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 no. <laughs> gimme, 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 gimme. There's a couple things, I think, happening here as we work through this. One thing is our Western culture tends to be very individualistic we celebrate the self-made man, you know, we celebrate the, 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 you know, you, you get on YouTube, it's like my self-reliance, and you know, there's all these different things where we are self-centered and self-prepared, and we we can do it all ourselves, but I think it's, it's, it's interesting that when Jesus is praying this, and when he's going through this, he says, give us this day our daily bread, again, it's community, it's like, it's like this idea of when we think about needs, and when we're requesting things from God. When we think about it from a collective perspective, it changes. It's like it becomes so much less selfish. And it's not that we don't have needs that we bring to God. Yes, it says that if we are in trouble, pray. You know, like we pray to God. But like if we think about this, we begin to think about our, you know, like the people that we do life with, or those around us. That we begin to say, God, meet our needs. Like come in and 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 supply our needs. It's less selfish. I mean, I love even how Nathan on a Sunday morning will be, will be praying, and he'll pray for the churches in our city because it's not all about us. It's about God interacting with pastors all over our city and ministering in places all over our city where God is lifted up and people are drawn to him. And it's like, God, you know, I, I pray those kinds of prayers. I pray city prayers. I mean, I pray for this church, but I'm like, God, touch our city. God, there's, there's right, it's it's not just about a few frozen chosen, but it's like, it's about, it's not us for no more. It's like, God, meet our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. And this idea of daily bread, talking about reliance, it could be, and, and this is, I have theories when I read the Bible, so this is a Glenn theory, all right? I'm not sure that this is theologically correct, but I'm wondering if there's a throwback here to the, to the manna in the desert. Remember the manna in the desert? They were out there and they couldn't provide for themselves. But every day, God provided bread from heaven. Would it keep to the next day? No. That was on purpose. They needed to understand a daily reliance upon their God. Daily reliance upon their God. God provided for their every need. They didn't stack it up for next week because it would spoil. But every, like, So I'm wondering if there's a parallel here where Jesus is teaching them to pray. It's like, yeah, we work, we plan. Like, I'm not advocating that we live paycheck to paycheck. That's not what I'm saying. But it's like there's a sense of who is our source? Where do we see as the source? Is it our own strength? Is it what we can make? Is it what we can do? Or do we have a sense... That God is our supply, and we can trust Him in that on a daily basis. It's humbling ourselves in the, on a daily basis and saying, God, I recognize that I need you to supply what I need, because I don't even sometimes recognize what my needs are. Do we recognize God as our source? You guys didn't realize the Lord's Prayer was this long, did you? And then it, there's a shift. And Jesus begins to pray, and he says, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our offenses. You know, like with finances, your debts, the more you pile up, the harder it is to manage. The more in debt you are, the more of a hold it has on you. It's like, I'm wondering if Jesus is kind of making a parallel there, and he's saying, hey, when it comes to your offenses, your sins, the things that that happen in your life... Keep a short account there. It's way easier to deal with on a daily basis than it is to allow things to pile up and you try to figure, you know what that's like. I mean, we've all kind of been there, right? When it comes to, you know, we make a mistake, something happens, and, and so we kind of let it slide and then something else happens. And and we kind of pray and hope that God doesn't notice. And then something else kind of piles up on that. and And we find ourselves distancing from actually... The salvation, we find ourselves distancing from the solution to the problem. And and I believe God's looking at this and saying, Jesus is teaching them, guys, keep short accounts. We need that. I need that. Every day I go to God, it's like, God, forgive me. Like with me, usually it's something I say. <laughs> Let's go figure, right? He's a pastor and he has to ask for forgiveness for what he says. I do. There's things that I say, and I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. God, forgive me. And then we get to the second half of this. This is as as we forgive those who have offended us or have sinned against us or have debts against us. And we realize in those moments when we're offended, what do we do with it? Do we hold people ransom? Or do we recognize it's like, no, God, I choose to let that go. Because bitterness will get in there, and it'll take root and it will fester, and it will poison us, and we will find ourselves very, very sick spiritually because we've been unwilling to forgive someone for something. It's like taking poison, hoping the other person will die. Right? And God's saying, no, forgive, Lord, forgive us as we forgive others. Broken unity hinders our prayers and our relationship with God. Forgive us, God, as we forgive others. You see the community aspect to this prayer? God 's really trying to drive something home, and he says, "Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, deliver us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We have to be careful with the wording here sometimes because it's not like God is purposely going to try to trip us up 1 corinthians ten thirteen says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful; He will not let you be tempted beyond what you bear." What you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's 1 Corinthians 10 13. I think we need to recognize we have an enemy, and that enemy is the devil, and His forces are out to steal, to kill, and destroy anything that's good. And God is good, and the things that He has for us are good. The enemy, the devil, who knows His time is short, is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy any of that that He can. There is an adversary. We have something that resists what God wants to do in our lives. But we have to realize that Jesus defeated that power. Jesus, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, overcame that power. That's not to say there's not still a battle. But it's cool because I read to the end of the book and we win. I know you kind of cheat sometimes, like spoiler alert. Okay, in case you haven't read to the end, we win. God prevails. The world, as much as it seems like it's spinning out of control, is actually not out of control. There are things that are happening that are not good, but it is not beyond the eyesight of God. I read to the end. We win. Deliver us from evil. He wants us to stand up under that. He's given us the authority in the name of Jesus to live a life of freedom. And it's still a battle, but I love that he has given us victory. And it's not just the pastor that gets the victory. right? It's not exclusive to the clergy. he's, He's talking to his disciples, which are his followers, which he's saying, duplicate this, scale this throughout the world. And he's saying... Deliver us from evil. It's for us. He says, I won't let you get tempted beyond what you can bear. He doesn't say that he will shield us from every temptation. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. And there he was tempted. He was there for 40 days. He was hungry and there he was tempted. Jesus never sinned. Now us, well, Jesus, I am not. But it's cool because the authority that I have in Jesus' name allows me to go humbly to the cross of grace and say, God, forgive me. In your name, give me the strength to resist this temptation. See, sometimes it's that uh, God gives us a way out, gives us a back door, gives us an opportunity, and we choose to camp instead of run. We choose... We, 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 We want to save face. Right? Temptation is there. It's like, no, I got this. I can handle this. I can resist this. I'm good. And there's a back door open. And we're standing there going, no, I got this. I'm good. I I can handle this. I'm just going to face this down. I'm going to face this temptation all by myself. Nobody needs to know. I've got this. And suddenly we trip up and we're face planting. And we wonder why. First of all, because we can think we can handle it ourselves, which we can't. The second is we've been given an opportunity, a way out, and we haven't taken it. And we find ourselves in a place of condemnation. And we find ourselves there, and it's like, God's saying, come on. (laughs) Come on back. Let's do this together. I forgive you. Brush yourself off. Let's continue. I'm hoping there's a worship team floating around somewhere. Because I would love to have them come back right now. And I'm hoping they're backstage. In faith, believing. Jesus, I pray for a worship team. (laughs) Hallelujah, answered prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And I love how this prayer ends. And this is also how this service is going to end at the end. I've, I've asked Debbie Roswell if she would end with this type of a prayer. Because what we're going to do here in a few minutes, we're, we're going to stand together and we're going to pray. We're going to begin by, by worshiping together. And we're going to make some declarations about who God is. and then we're, we're, So we're going to sing for a little bit. And then we're going to pray for a little bit. And then we're going to sing some more. And then we're going to pray some more. And then we're going to sing some more. And then we're going to pray some more. Because we can talk about prayer. But I believe God wants us to actually do it. So I don't know exactly what this is going to look like. I've got an idea. You don't either. But it's okay. I trust God. Do you trust me? He said this morning. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? I'm like, okay, yes, I trust you. So let's just be willing to do that when we stand together. But it's like we get to the end of this prayer and Jesus, this is Jesus. And I don't know how he said it, but I have an active imagination and I don't picture Jesus as going for yours. This is the kingdom, power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus has just taught his disciples how to overcome, how to see their needs met who they're praying to, the God of of all creation, his dad. He says, we're in this together. And he gets to the end of that prayer and I think at the end of that prayer, he's like, God, for yours is the kingdom. God, yours is the kingdom. Yours, God, is the power. Yours is the glory. Lord, it's yours. And you give it to us And you pour that out upon us. And then the last word is amen, which is let it be so. Yes, we agree. And I can picture his disciples standing around him going, amen. You know what I mean? Like the sense of, yes, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory, God, forever and ever and ever. Amen. 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 Ah, you're just getting emotional. Yeah, well, maybe I saw you at the hockey game and you were too, but let's stand together. It's like His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. The God of all creation is in our midst, the God of all creation deserves our praise. He's worthy. He's worthy. Can we can we just begin to praise him and, and, and sing together and then we're gonna go into a time of prayer? But let's 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 do that now.